you guys are all right. So let's get our Bibles out. We're in Matthew tonight. We're looking at Matthew 24 and uh, enjoying a lot of what Jesus packed into Matthew here in chapter 24, answering the question of his disciples, what are going to be the signs of your coming? How many know Jesus died, he rose, and he's coming again? Okay, let me try that again. I'll try this side. Jesus died, he rose, and he's coming again. Amen. Amen. You know, we should be excited about his coming. We should be looking for his coming. It's part of all sound, solid Christian theology. It's part of all our Christian creeds that Jesus is returning for his church. He's coming back for his bride. And you say, well, who's the bride? Who's the lucky girl? It's us. It's us. We're the bride. We're the bride of Christ. Now, ladies, you can wrap yourself around this bride thing because you're into that bride stuff. You got bride magazine. You get all these things. You, you get all excited about your weddings. I just was excited to take Canada's best girl home with me. And the place has been going downhill ever since I took her home. <laughs> but, you know, this whole idea of the bride and it's the church and it's us and, and Jesus is coming for us and he's purifying us and preparing us for that wedding feast. And these are going to be the signs of his coming. We looked at a lot of them. We spent a lot of time in chapter 24. We're on part seven. And I'm going to read you some verses tonight. We're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to start in verse 9 uh, and, and read through that. And then we're going, to, we're going to jump in here and take a look at what's going on as, uh, you know, Jesus kind of just drops this stuff in their lap. We get to chew on it and mull over it and allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate it for us. But the disciples were getting it fresh out of Jesus' mouth, and I'm sure they didn't know how to process it. But let's enjoy it tonight. It says in verse 9 of the chapter it says then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake now we covered this but this is this is happy stuff isn't it and then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another we covered that too and seeing how the church comes unraveled and turns on itself and the apostate church attacks those who remain true to the word of god it says in Verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now, 11 and 12 are what we're going to cover tonight. Let me read it to you again. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Say many. And because lawlessness, say lawlessness. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Finishes up the thought in 13 by saying, he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So let's take a look at 11 and 12 tonight. There have been some shifts made in what Jesus, uh, you know, lays out here as the signs of his coming. We start off with these external spiritual things and deception in the form of false Christs. And we're going to pick up on that theme a little bit tonight as we talk about, you know, there is false Christ, but also false prophets. And they're linked together. They're different, but they're the same. So there's a shift that took place there. And then we saw some signs in the earth, you know, pestilences and earthquakes and famines. These are some signs that we see in the earth. And 
There are things that happen all the time, but their frequency and the tempo of how they happen is going to increase to such a pace that people are going to say, what's going on? You know, we talked extensively about earthquakes and famines. When, when an earthquake of a, of a high magnitude rocks the world day after day, 10 in a row, I mean, would that get people's attention? You know, God knows how to do that. So there's these external signs, there's these signs in the earth, and then we talked about division and conflict within the religious community, and that's what we talked about the last time. You know, and basically, you know, you'll be hated by the nations for my sake. People are going to be offended and betray one another and hate one another, and that's within the religious community. So let's keep going here. False prophets, that's what it says in 11. Now, Last session, we discussed the stumbling block of offense. And how many know we live in an offended world? I wonder what, you know, if you watch the news in the morning, you'll learn about what you should be offended about today. Anyone? Anyone notice it's always, it's always a song. You know, something, it's this, and you should be upset about that, and the ATF did this, and the government did that, and, you know, and like, so what are we to be offended? We live in this offended society. People in the last days will not be offended by immorality or the mainstreaming of sinful habits and lifestyles or the rejections of thousands of years of biblical theology that's always been. No, people in the last days will be offended by the truth by the Bible itself, and by the cost of following Jesus. So understand that. It's, and we talked about it, but I want to recap it a little bit here. People are not offended by, you know, you know, these immoral things that are now commonplace. No, they're offended at what it costs to follow Jesus. They're offended at the truth. Well, it says this in the Bible. Well, we don't want to hear that anymore. Stop saying it. In fact, we're going to call it hate speech, so if you do say it, we're going to have you arrested for it. And if you think I'm making stuff like that up, you should see what's going on in the UK right now and in Canada where there's certain things from Scripture that you can't say or you will be arrested and people have been arrested for hate speech. It's amazing what's going on in Europe right now. Canada's not far behind, and guess where it's looking to come to next? So, you know, these things, these signs, these offenses... People, you know, not wanting to hear truth anymore. All of that is coming to pass. Verse 11 and 12 give us the eighth and the ninth sign. In verse 11, we see Jesus warns us against the rise of the false prophets. Now, we're going to dig into this a little bit here, but if you remember, the first sign we looked at in verse 5 was the false Christs. People were going to come and say, hey, I'm Jesus. Not that I'm speaking for Jesus, not that I know Jesus, not that Jesus told me something. I am Jesus. And, and when we covered that sign, the first sign, we noted that all throughout history, all throughout the ages, in Israel's history, there would be those who claimed to be the Messiah. Even after Jesus came, there would be those who claimed to be the reincarnate or the second coming of Christ. In fact, we have one person in, right now in the earth, in Australia, claiming to be Jesus, and he came in the form of a husband and wife team. I'm not making this stuff up. But the false Christs have always been, and they're here now, and Jesus moves on to talk about false prophets. So, you know, some of the similarities that we see here, it says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, that was verse 5, and will deceive many. So many and many, many will come, many will deceive, they'll come in my name, they'll claim to be Christ. 
The similarities are the many's. It says here in verse 11, many will rise up, many false prophets, they're going to come, and they will deceive many. Now, that word many should get our attention. Why will these false Christs or these false prophets successfully deceive so many? The wickedness of our generation will predispose them to it because the culture has rebelled against God and God is provoked to give them over to deception. That was a mouthful that I just said, and I hope, you were, I hope your brain was engaged and you got it in there so it makes it to your heart. But I want to dig into that a little bit. The, the reason that these false Christs and these false prophets are going to deceive many is because our generation is predisposed to it because our culture has rebelled against God, and God will give them over to being deceived. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's look at the Scripture. Here are two Scriptures that we need to understand that prove that this is true. First Timothy 4, 1 through 3. If you're taking notes down tonight, don't clap this time. Get me next time. If you're taking notes, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, listen to it. Now the Spirit seeks expressively that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So there's some marks of cults in there, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from meats. You know, all these things are symbolic of a lot of cults. But it says here what? That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. And, you know, these are people that number themselves among believers, and they will give heed, what, to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now listen to 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, and 12. If you're taking notes, write that one down. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not accept the love of the truth so they could be saved. For this reason, listen to verse 11 of 2 Thessalonians 2, for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Wow. Come on, say it with me. Wow. That's, that's big right there. I would have you say it backwards, but you're a little slow tonight. So look at that. Where did this deluding spirit come from? Where did this confusion come from? Where did this deception come from? God put it on them. Why? Because they didn't love the truth. Because they didn't honor him, because they rejected his word, because they said, I don't want anything to do with God, I want to do my own thing. And so our generation has rebelled against God. Our society has pushed, you know, the church and the truth of God's word out of the public square and says, we don't want anything to do with it. We're going to replace it with our idols. We're going to replace it with our own intellect, our own philosophy, our own science. And so God gives them over to what they want. And you say, how do these false Christs and these false prophets deceive so many? Well, they provoke God, and he gave them over to it. Like the false Christs and the false prophets that will come, there is one fund fundamental difference between these two groups. The first groups, the first 
ones are the, those who actually claim to be Jesus himself. Okay, that's kind of a hard sell. I remember the last guy who said he was Jesus that I was looking at. He, I, he was a cult leader. He had glasses. And if you don't think that's a problem, Jesus had glasses. He couldn't even heal himself. Some of you, it doesn't bother. You'd follow a Jesus with glasses. Good for you. But, um, you know, you look at these groups and, and, and some of these cults and, you know, David Koresh and Jim Jones and all these guys, and you look at them, they're, they're pretty wacky. They're pretty unsophisticated, weren't they? Yet they deceived so many. Now, mix in with that the strong delusion that comes from man's rebellion against God and the fact that, you know, these groups are going to up it a few notches. So you got the first group that claims to be Jesus, and the second group, the false prophets, just claim to speak on Jesus' behalf. That's going to be a little bit easier of a sell. Uh, you know, I heard from Jesus, I speak on his behalf, blah, 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 rather than I am Jesus. So please note that 2 Thessalonians 2.9 indicates that the false ones will actually perform signs, wonders, and miracles. You know, if you read the book of Revelation, you see with the false prophet and the, you know, and all these guys, they actually do signs, wonders, and miracles. They actually heal and raise and do all these things. And the people are like, wow. That's why it's so important for us, while we can believe the full scripture, we can believe in healing and we can believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. We can't be sign seekers. Because sign seekers run after signs and they forget about God. And these, they're going to be spiritual people with their new age philosophy and their crystals and all of their, you know, they're going to, they're going to just love the signs. And guess what? The false are going to give them the signs and give them the wonders. I mean, the, the very fact that they're going to do, you know, signs, wonders, and miracles is, you know, something that should kind of shake us a little bit. Look what it says here in 2 Thessalonians. That is the one who is coming in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Wow, not every miracle is a miracle. Some of them are counterfeit. Some of them are fake. Some of them are satanic. It's not time to be ignorant. It's not time to be disconnected from the Holy Spirit. It's time to be walking in the fullness of the Holy Ghost with discernment and understanding, with the, the, all the armor, the shield of faith, our minds covered. Come on tonight, church. So the false prophets are coming, and uh, we've got to be you know, ready to you know, be able to discern what's real and what's not real. Um, the level of sophistication of these guys is going to go up several notches. The strong delusion will kick in, and people will be deceived, and the world will be primed to embrace the coming Antichrist. The good news for us, the bride, is going to be taken out of this mess, and the world is going to be given over to what they wanted. They want a godless society that worships man. So, uh, you know, to me... This is sobering, but yet sign number nine, the next one we're going to look at in verse 12, is even scarier than the false and the prophets and all of these crazy guys who are doing these counterfeit signs and wonders. You know, verse 12 shows that the lawlessness of the world we live in can have an effect on the hearts of the righteous. Now, look what it says here. And because lawlessness will abound, uh, you, you know, we're going to dig into that word lawless and look at it a little bit here. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now, 
honestly, this scares me more than the other stuff. Because first, Jesus, you know, he's giving us these signs. He's telling us this is what's coming, but he's telling us deception is here. But then he talks about lawlessness and it having an effect on, you know, the righteous. And the King James translate that word lawless in the word iniquity. If you're reading out of the King James Bible tonight, it says because iniquity will abound. The New American Standard says lawlessness. We're going to look at, you know, both of those uh, are going to come from one Greek word. We're going to take a look at it tonight. But iniquity describes the prevailing mentality of the last day's generation. So what does that exactly mean? So iniquity in the Greek is anome, and it means just plain wickedness. So you could take that word, and because wickedness will abound, and you got lawless and you got iniquity. So anome means wickedness. Now, the next word that's used here, uh, lawless, that's anamos, and it means wicked, a wickedness that is not subject to the law. And I want you to grab that. It's important. So we get this idea, the King James gives us wickedness, then we get the other Greek word that it's a wickedness, but it's not subject to any law. How many think we live in a lawless generation? Anybody turn the TV on and see what's going on in Atlanta right now? Anybody know what's going on? They wrecked the city again. They burned cop cars. They destroyed businesses. Antifa had a a night of rage. Please, Lord Jesus, turn me loose on them. Mostly peaceful protests. And, you know... What's that all about? What what is that an outcropping of? That's an outcropping of lawlessness, iniquity that is not subject to the law. So let's let's take a look at this because I think we're seeing it we're seeing it right before our eyes here in our generation. So whether it's aname or anamos, those two words, if you kind of put them together, you're going to see in the last days there's a universal wickedness displayed in the people of the generation expressed in a way that no one has regard for any of the laws of God or the laws of man. And even if you're waking up right now, welcome to the party. But that's what we're seeing in the world all around us. It's a lawlessness, a wickedness that's not subject to the laws of God and not subject to the just laws of man. Now, there's a reason I say just laws of man. Because just because man makes a law doesn't mean us, we as Christians have to follow it. It was a law that black people had to sit in the back of the bus. It was a law that Jews had to move into the ghetto. It was a, a law that this group of people couldn't own property. And on and on I can go with laws. It was a law that you had to, you know, give your firstborn to, uh, to Pharaoh there and Moses had to. No, there were a lot of laws that were made that were not of God. So we're not obligated to just follow any law that men come up with in china you can only have one baby and you had to abort the second one it was the law understand there are some laws that we have to we have to not obey and you know i say the just laws of man because the just laws of man are rooted in the commandments of god and and the and the just laws of man we have to obey We can't just do whatever we want. If we do, we're lawless. Well, you know, the government's this and the government's that, and I don't want to listen to them. I want to quit paying my taxes. Jesus said, look, I don't like it any more than you. Give unto Caesar what's Caesar's. I say, hello, Jesus, it's Rick. Caesar is taking way too much. 
But we have to follow the just laws of man, and we definitely have to follow the laws of God. But the generation that Jesus is talking about coming, that's going to be a sign of his coming, is one that is full of iniquity, they're wicked, and they don't submit to any law at all. And that's what we're seeing all of us. Now, what's so important about following the law? Well, the law, whether it's the just laws of men or the, the commandments of God, they come from God through covenants that he brokered with his people. The Jews lived under the law covenant, the law of Moses. And, you know, it's even called the law covenant. So think about that. How can you follow God if you're lawless and a lawbreaker and you don't want to follow God's laws or man's laws? You just want to do your own thing. That is, listen, it sounds like freedom, but it's really the most wicked expression of the human heart. That I don't want to listen to anybody. You know, if you study, I studied cults and world religions in Bible school, and when we looked at Satanism, the only commandment in Satanism is do what thou wilt. Do whatever you want. That's their only commandment. What is that? That's lawlessness personified. Why is it their only commandment? Because to be lawless and rebellious and not want to follow God or, or the just laws of man is wicked. And that's what we're living in right now. We see it. And it's, it's, it's kind of cropping up around us today that, you know, I can cite examples off the news that we've all been aware of this week. So God instituted the law, and the law came through the covenants that he brokered with people. You know, they had this law that Moses gave, and, you know, it hinged on man following the laws of God perfectly uh, through the covenant. And if you did that, you could have communion with God. You could have fellowship with God. You could have access to God. But if you broke the law, you were in trouble. And because the law was the rule, it necessitated, yeah, let me try that again, take two. It necessitated the construction of a sacrificial system. Why? Because when man broke the law, he had to make a sacrifice to cover his iniquity his lawlessness, so that his communion with God could be restored. You following me tonight? It's quiet, and a lot of you look like your eyes are glazing over. So understand, we have Jesus Christ who became our offering, and he had satisfied the law on our behalf because we were guilty of sin, and sin had a price tag with it, and the wages of it were death. He died in our place to satisfy the law so that we could have communion with God. Okay, but now the, the world doesn't want to be under grace. It doesn't want to be under Jesus. It wants to go back to uh, wickedness and lawlessness. And that's where we see the clash here between the church and the world. We submit to God and he covers us with grace. The law is satisfied on our behalf, but the world we live in is full of iniquity and it's lawless and it doesn't want to submit to anyone. Ah, special effects. So now the fatal flaw with the law covenant was that it was impossible for man to keep. And it was replaced by a new and better covenant called the grace covenant. So we're under the grace covenant through Jesus. Every one of us who have a relationship with him or are born again, even under the grace covenant, we have to respect the law. Do you know that? You know, people think, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm under grace. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I don't have to follow any of the commandments. Eh. Wrong. What do we have from Johnny? 
you lose. You, that's not right. No, that's lawlessness. We, we're under grace, but we're still expected to respect the commandments. Now, we don't follow them to get access to God, and we don't keep them to gain salvation. The law only functions now to bring us to the knowledge of sin. Do you know what drives me to my knees every day before Jesus, humbly asking his grace and his forgiveness on my life? The knowledge that I'm still a sinner, that I still can't keep the commandments. Come on, Pastor Rick, you've been saved since you're 14. You've been doing this in X, Y, Z. You should have it down by now. Nope, still wrapped in flesh, still a sinner, still need grace. So even though we're under grace, we're not in this law covenant anymore. We've got a new and better covenant. Uh, understand something. We still have to respect the commandments. We can't just go around lying and stealing and killing and committing adultery. Hello? We've got to love our neighbors. We've got to love God. We've got to think rightly about God. Still got to honor our father and mother. I give them good seats on the front row, isn't it? Yeah, they got a discount, too, she said. Good for you. So, you know, we're in this grace thing, but we still honor the commandments. We're not lawless people. In the, in the Western democracies here, you know, where we live, we say things like, we're a nation of laws. How many have heard that? Uh, or we're a law and order society. And, you know... Law and order is what allows us to have a civil society. The reason, you know, you can pretty much, you know, walk down the street or go to the mall or go shopping and not be, you know, hijacked or kidnapped or shot dead is because we have law and order. And these people that don't want law and order and that want, want lawlessness and branded as, you know, social justice and let's defund the police and all that stuff, this is just demonic nonsense that is trying to remove the structure God had put in place so that we could have a civil society. And if you don't believe me, just look what's going on as we pull back these things. Our society is coming apart at the seams. I didn't figure I'd get many amens on that, but... It's the truth. It's God's system. It's God's order. It's God's structure. He doesn't want us given over to iniquity. He doesn't want us to become lawless. He wants us to enjoy grace, but still respect the commandments, to still be, you know, godly people in godly communities, to have godly leaders in our nation, to be a nation of law, to respect the civil structure of society that God wants us to have. Lying, stealing, murdering, you know, all of these things and empty the prisons and nobody's guilty and cashless bail. Do you see where this is getting us? And I hope you can see it's a sign of the times. It's not just an anomaly that's taking place. What's going on? It's not just because, you know, somebody won an election or somebody lost an election or this. No, it is a sign of the times. It is the lawlessness that will set the stage for the lawless one, the man of perdition, the Antichrist, to come in and bring order out of chaos so he can seize control. Now, the text warns us, if we don't diligently protect ourselves from the evil of this world, it will have a destructive effect upon our hearts. And this is what's interesting to me here. It says many false prophets will arise and deceive many, and that's scary enough, but it says this, because lawlessness will abound, and it is abounding. Can we agree? The love of many will grow cold. What does that mean? 
good people, godly people, moral people are getting worn out by all of the injustice and all of the absurdities and all of the wickedness that we're immersed in every day that's on our news feeds, that's on our TVs, that's in our courtrooms. And it has a withering effect upon the hearts of good people. And that's a little scary to me. The evil of this world can wear you out. Have you ever been around somebody that was just wicked? Maybe you worked for someone that was evil. Maybe you lived next door to someone who was just anybody. Did you notice they have an effect upon you? Do you notice they can wear you out a little bit? Do you notice they can get you in the flesh every once in a while? <laughs> There's only two people saying amen. The rest of you are lying. So I want to close with this. There are three ways to keep our love from growing cold. And that's what we have to do in these last days. Why? Because, you know, iniquity is going to abound. Lawlessness is going to abound. All of these things are going to keep pushing. The systems are going to shake and crumble and falter. And there's going to be all that stuff. But you and I who love Jesus have to protect our faith, protect our hearts, protect our marriages, protect our children. And I want to give you three ways to keep your love from growing cold. Now, for the first one is to learn how to use the spiritual armor described for us in Ephesians chapter 6. You and I need to have that armor on and not just like a, a Halloween costume. We need to know how to use it. Now, I don't have time to preach all through Ephesians 6 and look at every piece of armor and tell you how to use it. I've done that before. You can probably get online and get you know, those series and, and, and be refreshed or you can read through the scripture and let the Holy Spirit show you. But let me read you Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. If we're going to keep our hearts from growing cold, if we're going to keep ourselves from become worn out by wickedness and lawlessness, we've got to know how to use the armor. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day. And having done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth. There's the first piece, the belt of truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, protect your hearts, protect your vitals. And having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation, protect your mind, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, this is not just, you know, a, a, a picture of something that, you know, is just a, supposed to give us an image in our head. These are actually implements that we're supposed, supposed to learn how to use. A Christian that doesn't know how to walk in faith in this lawless generation, what happens if you don't have the shield of faith? Every fiery dart, that's a flaming arrow. Everyone the enemy shoots at you is going to penetrate you. If you don't know how to use the word of God, every time the enemy comes at you with something, he's going to trick you and deceive you. What did Jesus do when the enemy came at him? It is written, it is written, it is written. 
He used the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit, amen? If you don't know how to get the helmet of salvation on your mind, there is so much junk out there, so many counter, uh, you know, opinions and attitudes and philosophies and doctrines that will get in your mind that quickly you will become deceived. Oh, pastor, this sounds like work. Yeah, we got to dig in. We got to get close to Jesus. We got to learn how to protect our minds. We got to learn how to use the sword and take the fight to the enemy. We've got to have that breastplate on. We've got to have that shield up because there's stuff flying at us every day. You know, look on Sunday. There's empty seats. There's people who, they, they didn't, COVID didn't get them. You know, it's not that they moved away. They just quit coming to church. In this last day, in this time of iniquity and lawlessness, you're not in the house of God being worshiping together, getting recharged, getting the word of God in you, you know, getting uh, armored up to go out there. You think you're going to survive what's going on out there? You don't have a snowball's chance in hell. Oh, you know, I don't have time for church. I'm too busy, blah, 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 blah. Dangerous way to live. Lawlessness, iniquity, wickedness, it's out there. You got to learn how to use every part of the armor, Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. Read it, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what it means, teach you how to implement it, learn to protect yourself in every way the enemy comes at you. Learn to fight the good fight of faith, amen? Don't shrink back, don't quit, don't say you can't. God gave you protection, Number two, the second way you keep your love from growing cold is we need to disengage ourselves as much as it's possible from all the negativity of the world. Now, I'm not saying we sell our stuff and we move up in the mountains somewhere and we start one of the, those crazy Christian communities where we all start to look alike. And I'm saying that we need to be in the world but not of it. We, we need to disengage from every part of the world that's negative and destructive. Why? Because that stuff wears you out. And that's what it, you know, that's what it's saying here, that, you know, lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. Why? Because we're too engaged with the things of the world that are negative and they're wearing us out. We need to disconnect from, number one, negative information. Yes, we need to know what's going on. Yes, we need to you know, hear the news once in a while. But listen to me. We can't be watching the news and listening to the news and our news in our news feed and news, news, news all day. If you do that, I guarantee it will wear you out spiritually. Because the enemy is showcasing all the things that are negative. I, look, I watched some news today. They didn't tell me how many people got saved, how many people got delivered from drugs, how many people died and went to be with Jesus today. I didn't hear any of that on the news. I heard about murders and mass shootings and fires and this and that, everything negative. We've got to disconnect ourselves as much as possible from all the negative information out there. We've got to disconnect ourselves from negative activities and negative situations. You know, there's certain situations that we put ourselves in. There's certain activities we do that, you know, put us around the wrong crowd, the wrong people, and, 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 we, and we, we constantly go back to them, and they wear us out. We've got to disengage from negative people. 
But you know, they're my neighbors, they're my cousins, they're my family. Get away from them. If you're going to spend some time with them, spend a few hours in prayer first. <laughs> but you know who I'm talking about. Those people that you get around them and, and within minutes you're drained. In minutes you're, you're depressed. You, you start complaining with them. By the time you leave their presence, you're like, I need to get resaved. Why do we do that? Well, I knew them from high school. We grew up together. We were friends in kindergarten. Move on. So disengage as much as it's possible from the negativity of this world, the information, the activities, the situation, and the people. And surround ourselves with good people and good influences and godly people who can encourage us and mentor us and, and have us laughing together. Come on, you got you to get this tonight. It seems like the people that recharge us and refresh us and encourage us, we, we, we have no time left over to spend with them. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. Get around those people who charge you up, not tear you down, because they'll wear you out after a while. It's the lawlessness of our generation. Number three, the third way to keep our love from growing cold. We've got to use that spiritual armor. We've got to disengage from the negativity. Number three, we've got to nurture our love for Jesus, our love for his kingdom, his people, and his purposes. We've got to nurture it. You know, whatever we feed in our lives is going to grow. And if we feed ourselves this constant diet of negativity, you know, the negative things and the negative people and the negative situations, negativity is going to grow and it's going to wear us out. But if we nurture the right things in our life, we only have a certain amount of time every day, a certain amount of years to live, a certain amount of strength and energy to give. We've got to nurture the right things. The first thing we've got to nurture is our love for Jesus. The most important part of all of our day is how we connect and commune with Jesus Christ every day. We should be praying. We should be reading the word. We should be alone with him. We should be talking to him. <coughs> the, the scripture teaches us to pray without ceasing. How do you do that? Just keep a dialogue going with God all day long. While you're at work, while you're in the office, while you're in the car, you're just dialoguing, you're just talking, you're just praying, you're just trying to connect with him. That's, you know, some, some people, the only time they think about God, they get up in the morning, they, they you know, they bow and say their little prayers at night, they go to bow to bed, they say little prayers, they eat a couple meals, they say a few prayers. That's not enough. That's not nurturing. So I'm, I'm not trying to give you more work to do. I, I, I'm, you know, we're all busy, but the thing is we've got to make Jesus a priority in our lives. And we've got to nurture our love for him. No, number two, we've got to nurture our love for the kingdom of God. The world is dark. The world is full of iniquity. The world is lawless. And the kingdom of this world will not lead us to the things of God, but there is a kingdom operating all around us that's full of life and full of purpose and full of blessing and full of freedom and full of joy, and it's the kingdom of God. Thanks for getting it, Tony. I preached on the kingdom of God a lot. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be looking like, what, the kingdom of who? The kingdom of what? The kingdom of God. It's got a king. His name is Jesus, amen. He sits on the throne. He's projecting power. He has a will. He has a dominion. He has people. 
We need to focus on the kingdom of God and nurture our love for it. We need to say everything that I do with my time and my energy, is it productive for my soul? Is it spiritually nourishing to me? Am I accomplishing kingdom purposes? Look, I could be doing a lot of things right now, and so could you. We could be a lot of places right now. In fact, you know, there was an excuse. They lied to us all day and said we were going to get snow. We could have hunkered down. But we're here. Why are we here tonight? For the kingdom of purpose, of worshiping together, of getting the word together, of being refreshed together. Amen? That's nurturing kingdom things. Say, nah, snow schmo, I'm going to church. God bless you. Good for you. So we nurture our love for Jesus. We nurture our love for his kingdom. We do kingdom things. We love the people of God. You know, we're supposed to love each other. Don't come to church, worship, hear the word, and run out the door and talk to nobody. Stop that. You say, go to the cafe. Donna will throw muffins at you. You'll have a good time. John will whip you up something with caffeine. You'll be up till next Thursday. But, you know, the people of God, fellowshipping together. You know, I don't know, ladies are having a Bible study. You know, when you ladies have a Bible study, 60, 70, 80 of you together just getting the word, talking, laughing, making fun of your husbands, you come home happy. Men, we get together. Being with the people of God, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity, amen? So love the people of God. Nurture your love for the people of God and for the purposes of God. So, you know, we learn to put on our armor, and that will protect our love from growing cold. We learn to disengage from the negativity and run into the secret place and commune with God, and that will keep our love from growing cold. Then we learn to nurture the things of God and our love for Jesus and the people of God, and all of these things will keep our love from growing cold. But if we're reckless and we're sloppy and we're lazy and we stay in the world more than we should, it's going to wear us out. And some people are going to get so worn out that they are going to be non-factors in the kingdom. Now, I want to close with this. Listen to Revelation 3, 15 through 16. It says this, I know your deeds, Jesus speaking to the churches. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I want to close with this. Understand Being cold is bad. Being hot is best, but being lukewarm is dangerous. The love of many will grow cold. Jesus can work with cold people because he can heat them up again. If we stay hot and he doesn't need to warm us up, we're even more blessed, amen, because we don't get close to the edge, we stay close to him. But being lukewarm at this time is a dangerous place to be. And unfortunately, there are so many cold Christians that have walked away and they're headed to be lukewarm, and that's a dangerous spot to be. We need to pray for those who have been in the church, who have been part of the ministry, who have been, you know, part of the family of God, yet for whatever reason, whatever excuse, they've walked away and they've gone back in, out into the world and they're cold right now. We've got to pray that they don't get lukewarm, but that Jesus heats them up again. And brings them back to the fold. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, that 
we are part of the family of God. We're children of God, part of the kingdom of God. We're your sons and your daughters. We're blessed. Lord, this world is full of iniquity. This world is embracing lawlessness. But God, we want to honor you and we want to celebrate grace. And we want to pray for the lost tonight that you would draw every broken soul, every addicted person, every confused individual that doesn't know you, that you would draw them to the light of your church, not just full gospel center, but every church that preaches the gospel, all the ones throughout Dutchess County, Lord, there's empty seats in every one of them. Lord, and I pray that you would draw the lost in from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and that you would bring them into your presence and gloriously save them by the power of the gospel. And Father, I pray for your people that have walked away from fellowships. And Father, listening to the statistics today, they say, because of COVID, thousands of churches have closed down and thousands of pastors have quit the ministry and thousands of attenders have quit attending. The statistics are startling. But God, I pray that what the enemy tried to do would backfire him and you would bring revival to the nations, that you would bring revival to the churches, that you would let the fire of God attract the lost and the, the wayward and the prodigals back home. I pray all this in Jesus' name, and I pray that you would put passion in the hearts of your people for the things of the kingdom of God. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Give him praise tonight.